Welcome to the Innovation Overground, the front porch of academic innovation, where we try to find some of the coolest university innovations so that you don't have to. We want to add volume to those technologies and hopefully help them become actual things that can help people out there. Thank you for joining us. My name is Charlie Litton. I'm joined by Tyler Scher, PhD, science wizard. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Charlie. How's it going? <laughs> Good. How are you? Good. And also joined by Joe Rungi, Dr. Loud Dog. not magical Intellectual at all. <laughs> werewolf and interrupter. Interruptoral <laughs> werewolf. <laughs> interrupter. <laughs> I got ideas, Charlie, yeah, and hear. I can't keep them all in. Let's and they just come out when they come <laughs> yeah, out. they do, don't they? I'm sorry if you're talking at the same you, time. I, what do you call that? It's like some sort of flatulence. You should be like, I'm walking here. <laughs> verbal diarrhea. <laughs> and while you're verbal diarrheaing, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, please. Anybody got Maylocks for that? <laughs> or... Man, you stopped me mid-range. I guess that's yeah. what it's like, right? Yeah. To be interrupted. Huh. Uh, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. Please leave a review. Please ignore the last 40 seconds of this show <laughs> when you do. Uh, please yes. also uh, let us know what we're missing. What are the big problems of the world that you want to see the universities of the world solve? The world. Yes, yes. And help us, help us do please spread the word so that we can help – the more people that learn about the show, the, the more people can hear some of these technologies, and then that gives them a better chance to find the oxygen they need to be developed into actual things. And that's kind of the goal here, right? Right. So, all right, with all that said, I do want to go over uh, some more shortage things. And I saw somewhere, I think ridiculously, that we are worried about a shortage of rare earth elements because, uh, as a smart man once said to me, isn't it kind of built into the name that they're rare? <laughs> so um, Only on earth. I mean, they may be abundant elsewhere in the universe. Okay. Um, <laughs> not sure how that helps. Oh, it'll come back to that. I'm setting something up. <laughs> oh, I see. Really? So, all right, Joe. Okay. You seem to be chomping at the bit. Uh, to, that is. To it's weird that I have a bit, but I have been chomping at it. Or champing. Is it, I think it's supposed to be champing at the bit. So there are actually 17 rare earth elements, Charlie. And I was going to entertain everyone by reading them all, but I don't know. I'm not really feeling it. Oh, I got to hear these. I got to hear them. There's really? going to be like... like not really idiom. Uh, <laughs> tell you what. Einsteinium. <laughs> I'll read them and you tell me which ones are fake. Okay. No. There's cerium, dysbrosium, erbium, europium, gallodium, holminium, holmium, sorry, lanthanum, lutinium, neodymium, parasitiomium, huh. promethium, samarium, scandium, terbium, tholium, Yerbium, man, this, that one. This is, is that is yerbium is tough. These are these are rare vowel elements. That's what they are. <laughs> Yttrium. Uh, they're also found in minerals with thorium and uranium, but those are not rare earth elements. And yes, they are rare. I mean, actually, they're fairly abundant on the planet of the Earth, but in the scale that are necessary for all the vital stuff they do. So, right? what the hell do they do? They do all kinds of things. Um, rare earth elements are incredibly reactive, which makes them very useful as weapons. Um, <laughs> Well, <laughs> and creating energy. They the elements spears. themselves are not actually uh, weapons, but they're very useful as catalysts and as as magnets. And magnets yeah. is what oh, I rare earth magnets. I've heard of those. <laughs> yeah, right. And they're because of th they're all within the periodic table. They have electron compositions such that they makes them useful for catalyzing chemical reactions, and it makes them incredibly useful for making magnets. They have all kinds of other applications. They're used in ceramics and glasses and pigments and sort of other sort of finishing processes. Huh. But the largest two are in 
uh, catalysts and magnets. And I yeah. don't know the catalyst side all that well. I know them principally as magnets because yep. if you're making electric vehicles and yes. you're making, you know, a economy mm. built on motors, rare earth elements are actually really, really valuable. And so one of the things – that like for batteries? Not for batteries, for, for motors. Oh, so batteries use – Electric motors. But electric motors. Got it, right. got it, got So got if it, you right. want to have an electric future – for the, mag- the magnet parts. Okay. Right. The yeah. magnet parts of the motors yeah. right now require these rare earth elements. So mm-hmm. even though they are fairly abundant, they are needed in more and more capacity. And it's not even so much that they're rare. It's that the places where they are abundant are within single nations. There's lots of them in China, for example. Okay. And not to date us too much, but trade with China is complicated. And so it's proof that building technologies problematic around which you may not have access yeah. to fundamental elements could be a real problem. So in that yeah. sense, a shortage just means you don't have access to them. They may be abundant somewhere. But uh, you know, if all your sands at the bottom of the ocean, all your robots are out of charge, you got oh, a sand shortage. Yeah. I just heard they yeah. have to ship their sand in in New Jersey. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. It sounded authoritative. Yeah. But um, you can't ship in your rare earth metals. You can't get your iridium or your um, your unvalium. I don't want to go through that again. I did that. It's done. Grab <laughs> saladinium. <laughs> so, but I think like going back, right? It's 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 an issue now, but it's more of the things that we're going to want to build. So, if you're going to want power plant, or if you're going to want wind turbines, if you're going to want electric motors they're going to become more and more expensive and difficult to sort of work with in order to be able to actually sort of build the, those parts of the economy. So is that a bigger, and I'm sorry to interrupt, no. but I'm just curious. I, mean, I like to interrupt, bigger, but you can do it. Okay, cool. Uh, so is, that, is there a difference? All right. So there's a lot of roadblocks, I guess, for, for getting to commercial or widespread use then mm-hmm. of electric cars. Right. A lot of different problems there with, with that. Is this rare earth element issue it potentially is going to become an issue because okay. yeah. there is not sufficient rare earth elements to continue scale production so, to the place it needs to go? So to. even if we could yeah. solve all the other issues, like you know, like charging stations right. and you know all the other things that you making enough batteries, yeah, getting the yeah. whole everyone getting over infrastructure Elon Musk. squared away. Even if we had the infrastructure we need, right, we would still have this other problem right. too. And okay. again, like this is a really like you only need small amounts in order to make these motors work, but scale up enough motors and sure. it gets to be a problem. And we can recycle and you know there's but at some point it's gonna become the choke point of sort of what what's sort of present. Yeah. So um and we know, don't we, we don't want to build an entire uh, auto industry that, that requires a natural resource primarily located in a in a in another country that May or may not be great to trade with. Huh. So, yeah. You don't say. <laughs> huh. So, there are a couple technologies, though. There's a couple different ways to go about. Said with no ounce of irony. Yeah. No, like, did you see the irony meter? No, I was like, down here. Yeah. Man, it, it didn't do anything. It fell apart because there's no rare earth elements around it. Um, so, <laughs> Northeastern University uh, ha- and, and Carnegie Mellon together, they. they have come up with uh, magnets that are operable in the same way that rare earth metal magnets are, but don't have any rare earth elements in them. And so well, that's interesting. These magnets. Okay, problem solved. University to the rescue again. Well, again, uh, rare earth elements are not entirely built around, you know, just for magnets. So you can't catalyze a chemical reaction using this. But again, it's 
part of the function of you know what we can do to be able to continue to advance these types of projects. And they did it with uh, magnes- uh, magnetic nanocomposite material. And this gets into material science, but I just think it's super cool because if you take standard materials, and this it's, I believe, uh, uh, it's aluminum, it's an oxide of aluminum. No, it's an alloy of aluminum and an alloy of iron. And so they're able to nanoscale it. And when you sort of make these sort of molecules incredibly small, no, that's not the right way to put it. If you make the uh, compositions very, very small, you change their properties. And so by having these nanoscale materials that are made out of non-rare earth elements, you are able to get magnets that are you know, similar in, in sort of scale in sort of their hmm. ability to operate like rare earth magnets. Okay. And so hmm. that is one material which could be produced as an alternative to, to rare earth elements. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, that sounds cool. So then that – but that just solves the magnetic part of it, the right. magnet part of it. Is there – what do we do then for the, for the other important process? Well, I've got one idea for that. Yeah, sure. And it's, you know um, – it's a little exotic, though. I mean, they are rare earth elements, right? So, right. Again, goes hand in hand. Right. Yeah. So what if you look outside of Earth? So. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, you said you did. You did. You did promise that, I, that we would go look. I always got a plan. Terrestrial. The final frontier. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, so, uh, again. Meteors. Another Chinese application has a specific asteroid rock sampling mechanical arm device. There we go. So, okay. The rate limiting factor in us being able to mine asteroids is, of course, having an adequate robot arm to be able to cut through that super hard rock. Okay, then. And does that use diamond or what do you use? No, they use a series of multi actuated robotic components. So the idea is that you have several different areas in which the robot arm turns so you can create massive amounts of torque. So these are actually pretty cool little um, Does the robot arm them does it does the arm then sacrifice itself during the cutting process? How does it I mean what's maybe? It, <laughs> I I guess. I mean <laughs> what's it made out of? Uh, no, it's not the materials that tungsten. it's made out of. It's made out of tungsten. It has ultra high rotational speed because oh. it's multi actuated. Okay, okay, I'm getting it. Right. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I had so much interest in rare earth elements, I had to cough. Um, so the the whole point is that by making the robotics to sort of have multiple planes of rotation, yeah. they can like rotate it at super high speeds. And I sort of wondered if that was more easy because it's in the vacuum of space. Interesting. Right, because it's not going to like overheat. There's no mention of that in the actual patent application. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard it's cold up there. I've heard that. <laughs> I was gonna get. I was gonna go uh, asteroid camping, but I didn't. it's all that helium escaping from <laughs> from Earth. Oh my gosh! Well, isn't it? What is it though? Isn't it like the like four hundred or two hundred degrees difference from sunlight to shade? So if you're in the, that's true. Gotta get if you the get shady direct, side of the if asteroid. You, you got to be on the shady side of this asteroid, and then wow. otherwise you get direct sunlight, and you're just gonna melt it. And then you're just you just spontaneously combust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that'd be that'd be one way to break an asteroid apart. The asteroids seem to do fine. They don't explode. explode. Well, you when, you're, when you're drilling into it, maybe. That's true. And so uh, there's so actually- So do they have to be big enough to land on then? How does this work? This what isn't you, any technology for landing. This is how like specific okay, that- Okay, how do you get to the- how do you Someone get to the else point? is solving that, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm just curious how you get to the point are, where you can drill on an asteroid. We are we are reductionists in our scientific approach this afternoon. Okay. And, and so you launch a robot arm at the asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> So Charlie, <laughs> call me when you get past Jupiter. We are gonna we're gonna take you away to a surgical suite. We're okay. gonna replace your left arm with a ultra hard mining 
robot arm. Okay. Because that'd be awesome. I would hang out with you way more if you had and that. And then you just wait on the And then we're going to hurl you into space. So we're talking about going out to like the asteroid belt. Yes. And... And actually, this has always been a topic that was I've interesting nice time of year. When I was a kid in law school, um, we had an international law symposium. And I did a stupid topic, but one of my classmates did uh, the international treaty on space utilization. And under UN regulations right now, there's a tacit agreement amongst all the nations of the earth that if we go out and mine space rocks, that you'll share the bounty with every person in the world. So it essentially the money would be distributed by the UN, which is not particularly realistic. And there's actually a big entrepreneurial movement now yeah. to focus on extraterrestrial mining to be able to actually detect some of the stuff. And I think rare earth elements are a really good example of why, because at some point yeah. you'll be able to simulate maybe 80% of the functions of rare earth elements, but thelinium, sometimes you just need it. And uh, <laughs> you just got have thelinium. <laughs> yeah. well, I've been there. Is the moon a source for some of that stuff? Is Potentially, moon- yeah. The moon would, but again, the moon is geologically most similar to the earth. Right. And it could be so, a source for helium, actually. Really? There's helium <laughs> yeah. on the moon? Yeah. Well, I'm told yeah. there's a helium shortage as well, so that, yeah. that would be helpful. So yeah, yeah. we could go mine rare earth and helium at the same time. And well, it's cold be up hel- there. So helium, I th- okay. Within the All surface right. of the moon. Yeah, under the surface, I think you could mine. You, you get Is this like, it's a byproduct of <laughs> natural gas. Have you been hanging gas? out with those helium prospectors <laughs> in Canada? Because <laughs> they tell tall tales. <laughs> So if helium is a byproduct uh, of natural gas, are you telling me then there were dinosaurs on the moon? No, but what is the moon? Did the moon, wait, what's the genesis of the moon again? I wasn't there. Well, I wasn't either, but what's the, what's the theory again? The that theory it, it is that off from it Earth? broke off from Earth or yeah, okay. some, some sort of large okay. impact. So it's basically okay. just a big chunk of Earth. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there we go. And that's why it's similar, geosimilar. Yeah, right? and I don't think – I think the helium is intermixed with the natural gas, but it's not generated by the natural gas. No, it's, so it's, there it's, are pockets yeah, that are trapped underneath the okay. surface of the it's earth. Just, it's just a part of elemental decay. Is an element but not a rare earth element. So. That's true. Oh, sorry. Back to rare earth Back elements. to rare earth elements yeah. because I think, we're, I think we've already talked about helium yeah. enough. Honestly. Yeah. Okay, you're right. Our balloons are... Well, I've got, got, I, I got a little gassy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Man, Charlie's sick of helium. <laughs> also, trying. this has been like our probably single greatest ninth grade humor. Or <laughs> just like nine-year-old humor. We're not up to ninth grade. We're fourth grade humor. At this one, so. uh, and boy. with that, uh, please take a moment to check out the show notes. We will have links to both the actuating robot arm as well as the rare earth magnets or metal-free magnet. Um, as well as some additional links to articles talking about the rare earth shortage associated with the green economy. Yes, please do uh, share the word about the podcast. The more people who uh, hear about it, the more likely it is that we can help uh, give those technologies the oxygen they need for further development. So on, uh, I also would like to thank our, uh, our sponsors, Unimed, the Tech Transfer Office for the University of Nebraska Medical Center and the University of Nebraska at Omaha and KVNO Studios. So for Tyler Sher and Joe Rungi, I'm Charlie Litton saying thank you and join us again for Unimed's Innovation Overground. <laughs>